0: Gnostics, weirdos, weirdos, vandals, Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, Cleveland area attorney and defender of freedom, Jay Carson. Hey, good morning, Mike. Hey, Jay, how are you doing this morning.
1: Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna try, uh, uh, like Elon Musk, uh, to make this not a free for all hellscape. Well, that's
0: um. that, I think that's a good goal. Yeah, absolutely. And we are yeah. uh, those I, were his words. Yeah, for, yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I just I saw that. I just really liked. Yeah,
0: uh, that's a good. Yeah, I like that too. We free should, for all hellscape. That should be that should be uh, maybe a motto. Not a free for all hellscape of the politics guys. Yeah. But we I should point out that we couple of things. Number one, we are recording this uh, a day earlier than we normally do Friday morning. So if big things happen uh, between now and the time you normally listen, it's not that we ignored them. It's just that, well, we're doing this a little bit early. And that's in part because if you were listening last week, you'd know that Trey mentioned that he and Ken would be on and that was the plan. But, uh, well, life intervened. Uh, Listeners, uh, you know that Trey has and really had a long-term struggle with some health issues. He's been very open about that. And so that came up again. And so Jay and I jumped in to kind of take over this week. Uh, and so Trey uh, is, uh, it might be, we're not sure exactly how long it will be before he gets back on, but we want to make sure he has all the time he needs to feel better and so forth. And we hope that's very quick and he's back soon. So we just wanted to kind of give you an update on that. So, all right. Um uh, Today, we do have a bunch of stuff to talk about. We're going to get into the Fetterman Oz debate, and more generally the midterm elections, which are coming up very shortly here. Uh, the Republican Party and Ukraine, um, a whole bunch of Ukraine stuff, actually. Some things on COVID. We haven't talked about COVID in a while, but you know, it's still a thing. Um, some economic news and maybe more, a whole bunch of stuff, and we will get to that in just one second. All right, Jay. So you know, a few months ago, I'd say the Democrats had good reason to feel that, yeah we'd be in pretty good shape. It looked pretty clear, at least to some folks, that, well, we'd retain control of the Senate for the next couple of years, at least. And maybe there were some crazily optimistic Democrats who said, you know, I think there's a chance we can hold the House. But, you know, things have sure changed. It's less than two weeks until Election Day, and there's no question that even The most delusional Democrats would have to say that momentum has shifted to the Republicans and most election models see control of the Senate as more or less a toss up and honestly it would take a a not so minor miracle for Democrats to retain control of the House. And so all of that, I think, made the stakes in Tuesday's debate between Democrat John Fetterman and Republican Mehmet Oz seem, well, especially high given the 50-50 nature of the Senate. and. Even the most forgiving of viewers, I think, would have would be hard pressed to honestly say that the debate did anything but hurt Fetterman. I mean, he was clearly struggling to comprehend, to articulate. I mean, he began his opening remarks by saying, hi, good night, everybody. And normally you think that would be a funny kind of gaffe. But to me, you know, I watched a part of this. It it just really felt sad and, and kind of well, painful yeah, tough, tough to, watch. to watch. And yeah. so, yeah, so, yeah, I guess I, I'd i like to get your take on this, starting with the debate itself. And then I thought we could kind of move into the Fetterman Oz campaign in general, and then maybe some, some thoughts on, and if we have any other thoughts on the midterms.
1: Yeah. So I, I guess the, I, I would join in. I did not watch uh, all of the debate. Uh, I've, I've seen clips and the ex- excerpts and so forth. Um uh, and and yeah, my sense is that um this this was uh just sort of a a you know rolling dumpster fire, uh, you know <laughs> sort of sort of situation um for Fetterman um and it to me it's not even uh, and and I'm not the first person to say it's plenty of, of commentators have, have said this so it's uh, I don't want to claim this is my original idea or or view but the fact that everybody's saying it I think is sort of significant. It it's not even so much that Fetterman put in a poor debate performance. Uh or or you would say, listen, he's got some some issues. He's still struggling with the effects of his stroke. Um I think the the big downside is that for months and months and months, uh the Fetterman campaign and and the, the Democratic Party have been saying, oh, he's fine. Um nothing to worry about, no problem here. And and that's that's really not the case and um for reasons that that i i don't know whether it's you know federman personally whether it was the, the party whether it was um whomever made the decision that that he should remain the candidate um when there were were other candidates if he had the stroke um just before the primary uh and they could have replaced him on the ballot uh, and there were plenty of other uh, you know really viable candidates uh, in Pennsylvania um that that seems to be a, a mistake, uh, both in the political sense and I think in, in the human sense. Right. That you're you're putting a guy in a position that he's just not able to to, to fulfill. Right. Yeah. And uh, um, I think it was there was a little bit of it, a little bit echoes of you remember this um, Ross Perot and Admiral Stockdale.
0: Yeah. Um, the presidential where, debate. He was Perot's vice yeah. presidential candidate. And he came out on the uh, on the stage for the VP debate saying, you know, who am I? Why am I here? And it seemed like he was this confused old guy.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, he was he was definitely not ready for And, and again, I, I'm not even saying that necessarily Admiral Stockdale had any sort of cognitive decline or something like that or, or you know, was dealing with with some kind of uh, health issue. Um, it's more just, you took someone who was not ready for this and not able to do this and you, you put him in the spotlight and it, it went badly.
0: And, and, and I think, you know, the, well, I, I, before we get into this, cause I, I, I'll take issue a little bit with your interpretations. I don't think they're unreasonable, but you know, it, it's clear that the Fetterman campaign did all they could to resist Debating and to put it off and until you know as late as possible because they, you know, they had concerns about his ability to perform and, and I think that they clearly uh, underestimated what the additional stress of having that debate would do and so I could I could certainly see, envision a scenario in which in debate prep it was like well you know he's a little rough but yeah it should be okay. But then sure. when you have the, the live nature and, and, and the hot lights and all that, and that becomes a different sort of thing. And that's, that's you know uh, understandable that uh, he performed worse than and then maybe the campaign uh, expected, even with setting low expectations and even given the fact that you know before his stroke, he was not necessarily the best debater in the world. But I guess I'll, I'll take issue a little bit with, with uh, what you said or offer a slightly different narrative, uh, and that's about first about uh the debate whether or not you know uh, Fetterman should have should have uh been replaced you know I think well, well there's a different or sorry, not the replace thing, but about the campaign line now I think that's one way yeah. to look at it, and certainly the narrative on the right, and I understand this is that the campaign at best misled or did way too much spinning about how healthy John Fetterman is but i think another way to look at it is well what do we mean by how well someone is it's it's one thing to say well is he well enough to perform the the duties the things that would be expected of him as a united states senator as opposed to well is he well enough to be able to very quickly on the spot respond with verbal dexterity in a high pressure sort of environment, that's clearly the answer to that is no. But my question is, is, well, what is expected of a United States senator is, in other words, to the extent what to what extent do debates actually even kind of track as to what a senator does in regular life? And I would argue that you can you could say that, well, not not much at all. Actually, does it really matter that John Fetterman struggled for words, uh, you know, in in the moment, in the heat of the moment? I I would say that doesn't really tell us a whole lot, except for the fact that he is not at that point yet in his recovery. So I don't think it's unreasonable to say, well, yeah, he's not going to be a good debater, but that doesn't mean that he can't do what is required as a as a United States senator.
1: Right. No, I, I get where you're coming from, um, but isn't what the Senate does uh, is debate. Well,
0: no, that's not. I I mean, that's, 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 said part, that's not what they do that's, at that's all. No, I've said that's not at all. In fact, I think the idea right. that that anything happens on the Senate floor that matters even a little bit aside from right. going viral on social and, media or what have you. that's, and, that's and, not. I, and I get. Yeah. And I get
1: what you're saying, that that. Look it's not really a debate in terms of I went on the Senate floor right the The votes are done and counted uh yeah. b- before anybody goes out there uh or they wouldn't go out there um uh and it's just a a you know you're given the kind of the presentation it's not necessarily a debate debate um so no, I understand that point uh uh and and in, in that case, there is this sort of uh, as Ken said are we, are you better off with a um, dead Democrat and a, a live Republican. Um, you know, it's just a whatever, whatever jersey uh, the person's wearing, right? Um, but I, I think there's also something to be said that we look to um, those discussions, whether whether they're legit debates or not, uh, on the or or it's just kind of Kabuki theater um, on the Senate floor or the House floor or on the stomp. Uh, as sort of proxies for our, our national debate national discussion right and we sort of expect that if you're going to be a leader uh, you you should be able to articulate your position your party's position um on issues and uh it's i i think that's that's part of it whether whether you say it's fair or not but i mean you look back at um you know great politicians uh, uh and i and i I think you you look to people who are, you know, oratory is is part of the job. Um, now, look is that is that the job for everybody? There are probably plenty of people uh, in the Senate, uh, certainly plenty of people in the House who you know never make a great speech in their life, but can can uh, ably serve their constituents. Um, uh, they they never necessarily get into a a uh, you know debate, certainly in the format that you see um, you know in a campaign uh, in their, their daily lives as a, as a representative or Senator. Um, but I I do think there's, there's something, a core function about being able to articulate your views where you stand on a particular issue. Um, and, and I think that's, that's part of the the problem, right? I mean, it's, you know, he might not be called upon to, uh, debate Dr. Oz under the hot lights and, uh, you know, press people right there, but, and it's, it's not unreasonable to say, hey, what's your position on fracking and be able to ex- sure. you know, yeah. get a, yeah. an answer that, that
0: you understand? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I don't I don't disagree with that. And, and you know, it, certainly it would be better if he were able to do that than not. And so the question for me and I guess the question for a lot of voters is, is, uh, you know, is this is his impairment? And he's clearly impaired at this point. Is it? Is it enough of an issue and is it enough of an issue related to what we are looking for in a senator to make me want to vote for Oz over him, given the what I understand to be the differences in their opinion, in their in their policy positions? And I, I think, you know, for a lot of voters, for most voters, the answer would be would be no. Not at all. Right. Because in a right. in in a 50- they're going to vote for the jersey. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Because, you know, I mean, and so that I guess most is most most people, of course, have their minds made up. And and so, yeah, I, I don't know that if I were a Pennsylvania voter, I'd still vote for Fetterman and it wouldn't even be. A close decision for for those reasons, because my main concern is, hey, you know, who's who's going to be uh, who's going to be what party's going to be in control of the chamber? What is this going to mean for uh, President Biden's judicial nominees? Because that's given given what we know about the House, that's going to be about the only thing that's going that's going to you know, make a difference. Right. Because the House is going to go Republican almost certainly. And so then it's a question of, well, I I want to make sure as a Democrat that I get that President Biden gets as many judicial nominees and appointments in his administration confirmed that are along with with my ideology. And that's not going to it's going to be less likely to happen if Oz is in that seat than if uh, Fetterman's in that seat.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's that's not unreasonable, but I'm going to play the card that you always point on me and say that uh, you are truly exceptional. (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> not everyone thinks like that. And and I think there are a lot of people out there who may be, for example, not, uh, particularly ideological or partisan. Right. Um, and, and you can even say naive or old fashioned and say, listen, I just want the best person who's going to represent me and my interests in the state, uh, as best, uh, they can.
0: I don't, right. and, I don't buy that. I don't buy that at and all. I think yeah. there
1: are, there's, yeah, you don't, you don't think there's a lot of, nope. no, I think. There no, are a lot I don't, of, I don't think so at all. Like, I want the best, yeah, no. the best person.
0: I, I don't, I don't think that's, I, now, if you were talking about maybe city council or something like that, I, I would be more inclined to buy that argument, but no, I, I I'm sure there are people out there like that, but. No, I think that's a vanishingly small, uh, vanishingly small number, actually. So,
1: but shouldn't we expect more of, of a senator than we would have a city council person, right?
0: Well, I think we expect different things, right? I mean, and so uh, a senator. Fair enough. Yeah, it's a, you know, no, it's a fair response. Yeah. yeah. So senators, you know, they may think the world revolves around them, but for the most part, senators are a vote right one way or the other for a bunch of things that the leadership decides yeah. to put forward and that's why you know i, I want to point out that that's why even though that this would not be a difficult decision for me if i were a pennsylvania voter it would be a more difficult decision for me if this were a presidential election because Presidents have so much more individual authority than senators. That would give me a lot more pause if I thought that there was some kind of a, you know, some sort of a deficit there. And and that's why I think that's an important an important distinction to make. What, what do you think about that?
1: No, I, I think I I think you're you're right in terms of I would also have that that same pause being an executive versus a legislator. Um, you can be a a subpar legislator. Um. And and you know the world's not going to and the stakes are just not as high, right? Um, uh, and, and 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 I'll I'll share a couple because I had a couple thoughts on this whole thing, right? That um, one, it, I thought of. Um, so John Fetterman and Herschel Walker. Uh, I think you could certainly argue that um, Herschel Walker is not the ideal Senate candidate. He is, uh, <laughs> yeah. not someone who is. Who is ideally situated or trained uh, or has the natural talents that would uh, recommend him to that position?
0: Yes, absolutely. Um,
1: uh, there was yeah some funny you know memes or someone who had said that that you know Herschel Walker is one of the strongest uh, you know GOP Senate candidates ever. Um, in which you and I said yes, he can you know yeah. he can definitely yeah. you know out out leg press. Yeah, his bench uh, press know, is McConnell. really great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, But no, it's it's so in that case, I mean, to some extent, you are sort of asking uh, people to, hey, vote for the jersey, right? Vote for the uniform. Um, Now, I I guess I come down to the distinction of who can do the job. And is it a matter of uh, listen, Herschel Walker may do the job poorly, um, but he can still uh, more or less do it as, as the question is, can Fetterman do it at all? And and look, I think that's that's a fair question. When you say that, look, the job doesn't necessarily entail standing up in front of hot lights uh, and debating somebody else. Uh, my response is, but, but yeah, but sometimes it does. Um, uh, in that that we look for these people to articulate positions in our national debate. Um, so yeah, that was my first thought. Is is you know what's the difference between Fetterman no, and, and Herschel Walker I think
0: that's a, that's an excellent point because when you think about say a Herschel Walker you think well in a lot of ways he's uh, at least in, in on the surface he's this great candidate because you know a football star you know for yeah. for Georgia and a, a heroic kind of figure right to a lot of folks And you think well he's also a black republican and that it ticks yeah. a lot of boxes and so does right so does Fetterman right I mean he's this Big hulking guy who looks like a kind of blue collarish sort of, you know, you uh, kind of a Trumpy sort. Of, you expect to see him at a rally right. in Sturgis or something like that, you know, yeah, and yeah. and so that and i think that's more and more what what the parties are kind of focusing on when they recruit these candidates and that that necessarily doesn't mean that they're going to be great legislators but it, it's almost like we're we're in a you know a quasi parliamentary system where it's like yeah just just shut up and vote for your party you know and and you're good to go basically yeah um
1: so i know i think that's uh that's that's all correct um the other thing, of course, is, is we had talked about a week or so ago, uh, celebrity candidates, right. Yeah, and yeah. it has to that, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Um, and you know, and I, I thought back about, um, various celebrity candidates and, and I guess I'm, I'm coming down to the, um, and it, and it's weird because look, uh, Fetterman is not a celebrity candidate, right? He was Lieutenant governor. Yeah. He was, he was the uh, mayor of wherever, um, uh yeah. my apologies. Uh and you know became lieutenant governor. So he's he's actually, you know, gone through some some political experience. Now I think that the jump to lieutenant governor was was uh uh pretty pretty significant, I suppose. But um Mike, I have a a a story uh about uh, uh Ohio Governor Mike DeWine, uh who I met one time, um not one time, I met a bunch okay. of times. Um but one of his, his lines that, uh, he, he uses, uh, one of his jokes he tells is, uh, he was Lieutenant Governor under George Voinovich. And at that time, uh, he would say, well, you're Lieutenant Governor. He, he would introduce him. So hi, I'm Lieutenant Governor. And the person would respond. So what is it that you do? And he says, well, <laughs> yeah. you did it.
0: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, so the, it is not, it's um, not necessarily the most, uh, demanding job in the world.
1: Yeah. Um, so, but uh, anyway, um, but I also thought Ohio was for decades represented by another celebrity senator. And that was John Glenn. Yeah. Um, now you can, you can say uh, John Glenn was sort of a more serious person, right? He was a serious military guy. He was an astronaut. He was a, uh, a, a decorated uh, Korea veteran. Uh, he was a Colonel. Uh, he had a great deal of a, you know, science background uh, going into NASA and so forth. Um and and look, I'm I'm you know, I, I don't know if they're come. I've never seen their grades or their ACT scores. I'm betting John Glenn would have outscored Herschel Walker. Did okay, um, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. so maybe so. Maybe that's a, a fair. But but my my point is, John Glenn didn't necessarily have political experience coming in. Yeah. Um. Uh. And and it was sort of coasting on on the hey, I'm I'm an astronaut. Sure. You yeah. Know, the first guy to orbit orbit the Earth. Um. Uh. Which which again uh when you're looking for well what does the you know job of senator have to do with uh orbiting the earth not not a lot not generally no um yeah i mean um so uh, anyway i mean I, i'm not i'm not saying i've i've got answers responses but i just think those are if if we're thinking about interesting
0: parallels yeah, of celebrity yeah.
1: candidates, celebrities
0: uh um, it's not yet. Yeah, it's not a brand new thing, certainly. But, you know, the yeah. the, the other point I wanted and, and to And what to my point
1: to... is, there are some celebrities, I think, who can who can do great. Uh, yeah. And there are some people who career politicians who who are not suited.
0: Uh, oh, absolutely.
1: So I, I guess I, I'm 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 looking at the I don't knock out celebrities automatically, but nor do I say, aha, this is this is a, a sure. because they're. It's just,
0: just the fact that being a celebrity doesn't necessarily mean anything. You want to look the background and experience yeah. and markers yeah. for intelligence and ability to be kind of thoughtful about things. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, the other point you made was about and, and plenty of Democrats are wondering this, too, I think. saying, Well, why why didn't they replace the guy? And, and I, I think, you know, it's one of those hindsight 2020 sort of things uh you could argue for instance that that connor lamb who finished second in that democratic primary would in some ways be maybe a a better candidate i mean he has some congressional experience he was elected in 2018 so not a lot right but his record in congress i uh, puts him at the conservative end of the democratic caucus uh in in the house and but, but that's sort of what they've been wanting to run this year yeah but but OK, fine. But Betterman beat him, didn't just beat him, but beat him decisively in that primary. I mean, he more than doubled Lamb's vote total. So if you're the party. Right. And you say, well, OK, yeah. we have this guy who he's you know, he has a serious health condition. You know, the, uh, Betterman said it almost killed me. Uh, and then but, you know, clearly he he was the choice of the party's folks. And so that's if you're going to pressure your clearly winning candidate to withdraw so you can replace him with some that's you know i think everyone on the democratic side in pennsylvania was saying well you know what let's let's kind of see what happens and hope for the best and that sort of thing and so i don't i don't i don't think it's really fair to say well clearly the democratic party in pennsylvania screwed up because i think you would agree that any time you try to make a decision to push out the choice, the clear and decisive choice of the people in an election, that's, that's a big deal. And you should be very cautious about doing that.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's, that's a fair argument. Um, I think the response is um, look, he just can't do it. Yeah. Right.
0: But, but I I think think that
1: that would be the, and and maybe your point is, well, we don't know that yet. Maybe it's going to get better.
0: Yeah. And I think, Um, and I don't, I mean, I don't, Hear a whole lot of people, really anyone, saying, questioning whether or not he has actually lost any real cognitive function. It's just a matter of yeah. processing time and so forth. So, if there were questions, if I had heard legitimate questions about whether or not he actually can think rationally, if it's affected that, and I, I haven't heard anything along those lines. It's just a matter of being able to very quickly articulate and and, and respond. And so, but that to me is not that big of a deal. That? What's that? But would
1: you hear that? I guess that's that's, that's, sort that's a fair of question. Why, yeah.
0: Why everyone wanted to have a debate,
1: because it, it was the sense of, well, can we, you know, can we see him? Um, you know, yeah. and, and,
0: well, the problem, of course, is we, debates are not designed. And, and this gets into sure. every time we we talk about debates and say, you know, 60 seconds to state your position and then 30 seconds for a response or maybe 15 seconds. We'll kind of. And that's just to me. Yeah. No, it's a
1: weird artificial sort of exactly. thing. and
0: Yeah. So if we were gonna do like a Lincoln Douglas sort of thing, I think, well, okay, that's maybe more of a you know <laughs> we'll give yeah. you one hour, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Fetterman to make your comments. And well, okay, that's that maybe tells you a little bit more, but that's not yeah. that's not like that's gonna happen. That would be awful TV, you know. So But do you think that would have been better? You know, I think it probably would have been because then you can sort of prepare comments and think and have a little bit of time. So yeah, I I, th- I would have felt like that would have been Given me more of a sense of things, but no, I think your point is fair—that you know we don't have any clear independent sense of what John Fetterman's ability to kind of think deeply about these, if it's been affected, and it's not—it's not crazy to say, well, maybe this is a a problem, and voters, I I think, should weigh that uh, when when making their decision. Certainly, so yeah,
1: yeah, I'm I'm just going to inject also a a personal anecdote on on this. because back in my younger days, right, when I was a young Ohio House staff member. Uh we had a member uh who was in a very very similar situation. Uh he had suffered a stroke. Uh he had been elected uh already and, and uh, had a stroke while in office. Um and it was it was a very difficult and sad sort of situation. And and I'm not to this day, right? I still have you know, they're kind of qualms about, you know, um, but some of my my duties, we would always have someone assigned to escort him to committee or to the House floor, um, because otherwise he, he could literally get lost. Um, you know, just just not make it yeah. there, get yeah. confused about where he was. Um, likewise, we had to always make sure that, you know, he was seated next to you know a certain person. Um, who would tell him how to vote? Um, and That's that, good. you know, that, that troubles me, right? I and mean, you're saying, look, we're just voting for the jersey. Um, but is that, is that right? I guess is, and it's, you know, I, I don't know the answer and I don't know what necessarily the alternative would have been. I suppose, you know, he was replaced the next, next term out. It was, it was also one of those weird things of, you know, these, you know, house members serve two year terms. Um, and he was, you know, sort of into that second year already. And it, you know, the sensible thing was instead of, you know, switching someone out, of sort of a doing a kindness for sort of an old man of, of letting him finish out his his career and retire, right, instead of being forced out. Um, so there's there's that also. Uh, but anyway, I just, you know, that it struck me a little bit that look, this isn't the first type this time this kind of thing has happened. Um, you know, the other historical example that, that came to mind was Woodrow Wilson um uh, who suffered a stroke during his second term in office and you know by what most historians say i mean it was it was mrs wilson who was really running the country for a, a good you know two years or so um and and again that's you know that's a difference because it's an executive versus a a legislative um
0: or but, or you know on on uh some people would say more more recently uh, you know uh President Reagan, who uh, in in his second term, a lot of people say was was showing some uh, clear signs of early uh, Alzheimer's, early dementia. And yeah. And, you know, and there are some people say, well, the the answer to that is to uh, require or that that candidates undergo some sort of cognitive screening and that be released and so forth. And, and, you know, I I have I think that would be problematic for a lot of reasons. But. But you know, I I certainly would. So mean the proxy we have for the cognitive screening is this debate process, and, and unfortunately it's a bad proxy. Uh, but you know, but I think it would be again. Uh, I guess in a way, I'm sort of surprised that more candidates, if they think their issues, don't say, "Hey, I've taken this. I've taken this test with an independent, you know, an independent neuro." Yeah. What? Yeah. Maybe the maybe the odds folks were thinking about doing that, but thought it was, I don't know, over the top or something. But honestly, yeah, I feel like that's the sort of information that would be useful for voters to have, because I my sense of things is that John Fetterman is, while he's not verbally adept at this point, he is perfectly capable of carrying out the duties. But maybe I'm wrong about that. And how do I know? And so I don't I certainly don't dismiss that point that you're making.
1: Yeah. And my other, my last point on, on this uh, goes back to sort of what I talked about, the, the sense of there's, has there been some campaign deception, right? I mean, and, and obviously it's always in your best interest to paint your candidate uh, to, to look as, as good as they can. Um, but going with the Herschel Walker comparison again, I think everyone knew Herschel Walker was Herschel Walker, Um you know what I mean? That, that, that no, uh, no one. I, I don't was, know if they expected
0: there were like abortions being a pop up popping may, no, up it, all it, over it the place. May, it may not <laughs> have known
1: specifics, right? Might sure, have known specifics. Um, but when when someone let's put it this way, uh, when he was nominated, like, oh, is, are you mean Herschel Walker, the football player, or Herschel Walker, the, the great orator? Um, <laughs> sure, you know. Yeah, what I mean? yeah, yeah. You, there, there was a sense of you knew what you were getting, more or less. Um, whereas I think with, with Fetterman, there might be, again, the the sense of, listen, this is, this is not a problem. This is not a problem. And, and well, yeah, it is. So
0: yeah, or at least it potentially could be, I guess. And I guess the larger, or, or,
1: or you could have made the argument again, this is a terrible political argument. Um, but it's honest is that the argument you just made, um, listen, he has, he has some, some difficulty in certain situations. But that has nothing to do with the job we're electing him to yeah. do. Uh, you know, and I think more—that's that's more, not a great political argument. No. but I think it's an honest one.
0: Yeah, I think more generally this gets into how we select candidates, right? And it's through this this process of campaigning. And if if you go back, if this were happening, say, 50 years ago or more, well, then party bosses would be the ones who would be essentially making this decision, and and. and it, you know, we tend to think that more democratic processes are sort of almost always better, but I would suggest there are some instances in which, you know, not necessarily so, because what voters learn in primary campaigns or in campaigns in general isn't necessarily a great proxy for how, what sort of job representatives will do. And I'm not suggesting we go back to that kind of, you know, pre-primary process, but it's not like there weren't some advantages to it, at least in certain instances. So I also wanted to talk while we're on uh, kind of, uh, the campaign and, and the midterms is that, you know, last time on the show, we made our House and Senate predictions. And, and I wanted to say I'm still sticking by mine of either a 50-50 split in the Senate or maybe a one seat Republican advantage and some pretty significant losses in, in the House. And, and Jay, I, I, I think your, your predictions were well Republicans might pick up one or two in the Senate and uh, yeah. and we were pretty much the same on, on the house. And I'm wondering before I go on, if, if you think, you know, that if anything you've seen would, would change your predictions on that.
1: I, I would say I would go a little, particularly after the, the, uh federer Oz debate, I would go a little harder into, I think my, my sense was, you know, Republicans pick up one, maybe two. Now I think it's a uh, Republicans pick up two.
0: Okay. Okay. And you know, in, and I think in making those predictions, we we discussed the problem that a lot of polling organizations had, uh, particularly with underestimating Republican support. And but one thing we didn't get into uh, was why polling in general these days might be more prone to error because a lot fewer people now are just willing to answer a random call from an unknown caller, and I don't mean just Republicans. Yeah. Because I, you know, I think about myself. And when I get unknown caller on my cell phone, which is my only phone, I like, I hit the client pretty much all and, the and time. And you,
1: you, if you're like me, you probably get them four or five times yeah, a day. get
0: a lot of them. Yeah. And, but back, I can think back to when I had a landline, and hey, the phone rings, you pick up the phone. At least that's, you know, how it was. And so that's that's a big difference. And I guess my point here is that we should probably all be a little less confident in the polls just in general than we were in the past. I think that the, the margin of error is necessarily greater, not just because Republicans are less likely to maybe respond to polls, but because everyone is. And so I think it's a lot harder to get a sense of that. And so I would say, regardless of what side you're on, don't put as much faith in the polls as you might have, say, five or ten years ago. As a general rule, and I, wanted-
1: I, I think that's I think that's probably right. Yeah. Um, and I think there's also more to the um, sense that uh, uh, you know, there's always sort of this this Heisenberg principle sort yeah. of thing at work, right? By observing, you you change the system, right? Um, and I think that has increased um that if that if that makes sense that the physics uh analogy might not hold up but the, the more you observe uh the more you uh alter the system um and and i think you've yeah and the more the more political heat is going on right the more you the, alter the the system and the more um there's also a uh almost an evolutionary response too in terms of people one, either not answering the phone. Um, uh, or uh I, I will I will attest to, to this uh, um, uh Republicans who screw with pollsters uh,
0: so, okay sure i uh, no i i really yeah. i think that's um it it may not be yeah. it may not be common, but it might be common enough to make a difference at the margins yeah, 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 and not only that, but I would argue that the fact that uh more and more uh election there's not so much an election day but an election period, which sort of complicates yeah. things as well. So there, the point being is there are a which lot I of moving parts. For, yeah, I know. I'm, I am looking right here now at my <laughs> official absentee ballot, which I, you know, yeah, I, I, I'm a much bigger fan of that. But the point being is there's a lot going on. It's a lot, I think more difficult for pollsters than it was 10, 15, even, even five years ago, but certainly more than 10, 15 years ago. And people should right, bear that because right. also,
1: I mean, what, what you say, I this is a good point. Um, the, the election period, historically, there was always this sense of there's a time when people start paying attention and it's after Labor Day. And, you know, there, there's it's it's sort of a broken down decision of of uh, when people start deciding who they want. and Now that's all sort of fractured. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, one, one although,
1: five- and I, will, I will throw on my last last argument that I think the Oz Fetterman debate is just one of the many reasons why i prefer less of an election period and more of an election day sure
0: and i i think there that's i think there's you know good reason to, to 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 go at least to keep that in mind because and now you could say well voters can just hold on to their absentee ballots until like a week before or something but you're right things things can happen and those things can matter and that is a disadvantage potentially is that once you've cast your ballots like well that's it's not all you can say, hold on, can I have that back? That's that's yeah, and, and
1: keep in mind, think about how that played out in the Federman um lamb primary.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because people people who voted before they knew about the the, stro- the stroke sort of thing. So yeah, no, no yeah. quite but of course before the, the Federman campaign happened. didn't yeah. say anything, but yeah, that's absolutely so yeah, that is I still think that the advantages uh well outweigh the disadvantages, but you make a you make a reasonable point for it. it's not It's not just across the board a better thing. You know, before we move on to the next story, I did want to mention last week, Trey talked about how political scientists focus on fundamentals more than individual campaigns, because history pretty strongly suggests that fundamentals matter more in elections. And one of those fundamentals Trey discussed was that. The party in power typically loses seats in midterm elections, especially when the president has higher unfavorable than favorable ratings, which is the case here. Uh, another one of those fundamentals Trey mentioned was the economy when it's not strong, or at least when people don't see it as strong. Voters have this tendency to punish the party in power. There was one other fundamental I wanted to add in is that in elections, especially when you have an unpopular president, it's common that more undecided voters end up voting for the party that's not in power breaking late. So if you have like one or 2% that are undecided right at that, right up until that final point, they tend to break more for the party not in power than the party in power, which I think gives Republicans even another advantage here. And so all of which I guess is to say that if, in January of 2023, there are say 53 Republican senators and the Republican and the Republican party has a 40 seat majority in the house. I would of course be hugely disappointed, but I would not be shocked at all. And so what I'm saying, I guess is the fellow Democrats, prepare yourselves just in case because this could be this could be pretty ugly.
1: Winter is coming.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, all right. Uh, let's. Uh, yeah, winter is coming. Unfortunately, there we go. Okay, Jay. So let's let's move on to something. You know, on something else. Sorry, something uh, on last week's show. Ken suggested that if Republicans retake the House, they'd be unlikely to approve more aid to Ukraine, and that uh, the Russian dictator Vladimir Putin is basically counting on that, uh, believing that essentially he only needs to hold out until early next year, at which point Russia will have this kind of ever-increasing advantage in Ukraine that will allow it to, you know, if not take over the country entirely, at least to kind of secure those eastern regions that they are claiming now are rightfully Russian. And I'd say that this line of reasoning that Ken brought up is based on two things. First, the fact that Every one of the votes opposing prior Ukraine aid has been cast by a Republican member of Congress and Second, you know, Ken referred to those remarks made by House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy earlier this month, and McCarthy is likely to be the next Speaker of the House. He told Punchbowl News, I think people are going to be sitting in a recession, and they're not going to write a blank check to Ukraine. They just won't do it. It's not a free blank check. And then there's things the Biden administration is not doing domestically. The border, people begin to weigh that. Ukraine is important. But at the same time, it can't be the only thing they do and it can't be a blank check. So, Jay, I wanted to get your view on this. You know, what do you think the prospects for Ukraine, for continued USA to Ukraine are in what's almost certain to be a Republican House and possibly a Republican Senate as well?
1: Yeah, well, I was on a, a conference call with the uh, Cuyahoga County Republican Party Executive Committee and and Vladimir Putin just the other day, <laughs> and and we talked about this uh, about how we're we're working to, to to kind of cut him some slack. Um, look, I think I think that's that's absolute nonsense. The the um, uh, and I, I am for people who don't get my joke. Sometimes I I really was not on a, a call. No, yeah, with, please, um, that was uh, a private
0: call Jay had with Putin. So yeah. exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, uh, no, I, I
1: think it's, I think that's sort of r- ridiculous. I, I think to the extent there were Republicans who voted against Ukraine aid, there was a weird sort of, um, Trump piece kind of mixed in with that, um, that I think those votes were wrong. But I, I, uh, there was also, as we've discussed a bunch of times, Mike, sort of the free vote, free vote. Phenomenon, yep. right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, that, that look, if you know, it's going to pass, uh, and, and, voting yes, uh, might, uh, hurt you even marginally, uh, the rational thing to do. Um, you may say it's not the correct or not the moral thing to do or the, the ethical thing to do, but, uh, is to, to vote your own personal interest, uh, knowing that the, you know, somebody else is going to pick up the slack for you. Um, uh, uh, back in my day, uh, in the legislature, uh, instead of no votes we we called it uh taking a walk uh that you know if there was there was a difficult vote for someone and uh it was an important issue but you knew it was going to pass uh that person would just during when the vote came up take take a walk um and uh you know be absent um uh or as as president obama called it uh voting present uh, mm-hmm. right um, so i i don't see that there is a a big republican um Push to defund uh, Ukraine. In fact, I think in a lot of quarters, uh, Republicans have been critical of uh, the Biden administration for not doing more.
0: Um, McCarthy's I think- gotten some pushback from his own party uh, yeah. on this. Yeah, and-,
1: and I think I think McCarthy's uh, uh, statements were, were perhaps ill-advised, but also you know, and I mean, you gave the 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 whole context really, um, but to some extent also taken out of context, right? Yeah. Uh, I think it's entirely reasonable, um, whether it's Ukraine or Israel or NATO or or any of our foreign obligations, uh, right, that we say we're not writing a blank check. I think that's just sort of that's that's good uh, uh, public policy all the way around is you don't just write blank checks. Uh, But I think to read into that, that we are somehow uh, reneging on. uh, support of Ukraine, I, I think is misinterprets that. Yeah. So now you know, uh, I think it was mm-hmm. it was maybe some boneheaded language by, you know, partly partly by McCarthy and then partly, you know, yeah. taken out of context by the press.
0: But, but I I do think that just politically. Republicans will probably, I, I agree with you that they're not going to not approve more aid to Ukraine, but I think they're also going to try to use it as leverage for other things, like, for instance, maybe some looser restrictions on domestic energy production or something like yeah, that. I think yeah. that's, I mean, that they'll try to use that as leverage, basically, and I don't imagine yeah. you disagree with that. So No, I, I don't necessarily
1: disagree with it. And I, I would say, you know, that's what the, the Democrats really did, did a lot of the same stuff. Um and that's politics and that's how yeah. it works is you you tie something that is maybe less uh, a little controversial to something that is not controversial and if you uh so that if the person votes against it you can say they voted against uh you know aiding the Ukraine so um and i you you, you i said the Ukraine um yeah. obviously
0: <laughs> Ukraine yes yes
1: it's that, it's that it was that conference call with Putin he kept on it the <laughs> Ukraine and i
0: just got in your head yeah yeah um but, but you know, I think there's also an expectation that Republicans will call for more oversight over the funds that are spent. Now, in the last package, yeah. there were more oversight provisions, protections put in there. So it's not like we're just airdropping money uh, in, into Ukraine. But I, I want to give folks some context here, because I think there's a there's a tendency for us when we have when uh, to take sides to say, well, our side is the side of angels and everyone is good and pure and wonderful and the other side everyone is evil and awful and that sort of thing. Now I'm I'm okay if we're calling Vladimir Putin evil and awful and all. That's fine. All right. But let's let's think about Ukraine for a minute. Um in a context I don't think we have so much. Around 65 billion dollars has been appropriated by the US for Ukraine to Ukraine so far and most of that has been For weapons or the the bulk of it. But there are billions that are going to the Ukrainian government for things like economic support. There was, I think, eight, uh, just under nine billion for that in in the most recent aid package, and billions in training, law enforcement, that kind of thing. And so when that money goes for those things, you have to think, well, what is the capacity of the institutions in that country to be able to handle that amount of inflow so quickly? And one way of thinking about that, not not the only way, but one way is thinking about it in terms of corruption and Transparency International, which is a well-respected international organization, they rank Ukraine 122 out of 180 in their corruption perceptions index. That is that is not good. Um, and and no, not, no. not only that, but their corruption ranking for Ukraine, they've actually got become when this ranking slightly more corrupt over the past. Decade and that ranking is these guys are probably just pools of Well, food you know, but'm like. but, but, but saying that ranking <laughs> is barely higher than russia 's uh, R- ukraine 's corruption score, what they call it is thirty two out of one hundred, and lower is worse okay um, to give you a right. sense of context their top ranking country uh, uh, top ranking country sorry denmark finland New Zealand have scores of eighty eight the u s is at sixty seven uh russia 's at twenty nine so we are giving all of this aid to a to a country that has some serious problems with its institutions and and that has to, that needs to be a factor and so if russia had invaded say georgia which has a transparency score of 55 latvia 59 lithuania 61 you know we could be a little bit more confident that that aid would be spent as intended but i don't think it's unreasonable to say, well, we want to put a few more safeguards onto this money, especially money that's going directly to the government, not say, here's a tank, right, or something like that, yeah, because yeah. there is a greater possibility that that money's going to be misspent. And you can love Zelensky and all that. And, hey, I think he's been a heroic and, and, and inspirational leader, but you can have a great leader at the top, and that doesn't mean that everything below that doesn't have some problems, and so Ukraine's government has some problems, and we need to. I, I think that's important to keep that in mind.
1: Yeah, no, I I, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, to me, that that sort of goes with any sort of foreign aid and and really with domestic aid. Um, I'd be curious what the corruption number is for Cuyahoga County and, and <laughs> you know ARPA funds, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's, so it's it's not. It's yeah, certainly even what I'm saying is even. If we're spending money in our own country, uh, you ought to watch for corruption. Uh, if we're spending it uh, in a foreign country uh, where we have less knowledge, less visibility, and there is less uh, accountability, um, uh, yeah, it's even a, a greater risk. So, yeah, I want, I, I agree with you 100. percent I don't think um, when Kevin McCarthy says something, not a blank check, and, and we need to have uh, uh, safeguards and, and so forth. I, I think that's I don't think that's showing that you're you're weak on uh, uh, your you know yeah. Uh, Weak on Russia, it's it's that you know it's that's the responsible thing to do.
0: And, and my my expectation here is that uh, in in November the Republicans will win control of the House, maybe the Senate, and so where there's a good likelihood that we're going to see another really big. Ukraine aid package in the lame duck session. You know, there's been talk of attaching maybe around up to as much as $50 billion in additional funding to the budget. And of course, the budget was supposed to be done by October 1st, but that never happens, right? It rarely happens. It got pushed back by a continuing resolution to uh, December 16th. And from the Democratic perspective, the nice thing about that is that's their last big shot at getting whatever they want into the budget, because once the Republicans take over one or both chambers, that's basically it for the, for, for Biden, the Biden administration and Democrats, Democrats domestically or in terms of any kind of major thing. And so, you know, because the budget, you don't have to worry about a Republican filibuster. You just have to worry about his Joe Manchin for it, essentially, you know, and you're, you're good to go. And so that's kind of my expectations. We're going to see a big package go through in the lame duck session. I wanted to get your take on that as well.
1: Yeah. uh, Again, Vladimir is going to be disappointed. Um, We were telling me, just hang on. Um, But uh, yeah, I I think there will be uh, significant. And again, I just, you know, personally, Mike, I mean, you and I have talked about this. We are we're old cold warriors. And, um, you know, uh, my argument is, you know, give give the Ukrainians everything they need uh, and maybe a little bit more. And I'd even be willing to accept a little bit of a corruption. Right. Uh, I assume I always kind of assume that's baked in, right? Yeah,
0: you have to. Yeah. Um
1: you know, I, I think there was there was I'm certainly probably corruption uh, you know, baked into the you know, our lend lease program to the to the British and we you know, before World War Two or, or you yep. know before we were involved in World War Two. Um it's just that it's just human nature. Um Definitely. Um, you know, I I'm thinking I'm thinking also like like, you know, of and this is fictional of course, but you know movies like you know catch books like uh catch twenty two right mm-hmm. um that, that documented listen even even in you know World War two the good war there's so much um uh you know shadiness you know black market secondary kind of uh, stuff going on and uh i i'm not gonna put you on the spot but i'm I'm betting as a veteran of um uh, desert storm. I seen some stuff. Yeah. I could,
0: I could, <laughs> I could give you not, all kinds of every, examples. Not every, Absolutely. every
1: dollar was probably spent as intended. No, sir. <laughs> uh, uh, so, you know, that's, uh, yeah, that's just par for the course, and I think uh, oversight is is necessary. Yeah, and, I, and
0: I, I, Jay, I'd say that you and I take a, take second place to no one when it comes to our uh, old cold warrior, anti Soviet, anti Russian, uh, you know, ambitions kind of thing, and in, in Eastern and Central Europe, and so so yeah, we're we're certainly, I'm certainly not suggesting that we don't do everything possible for Ukraine, and I don't think that's I I do believe that there are some members of Congress who feel that we shouldn't be doing. It. Maybe there are some members of Congress who are, you know, uh, having having chats with Vladimir Putin. I don't know. But I think that's such a small portion of the chamber that it, we don't have to realistically be all that concerned about our not standing by Ukraine in every important way to kind of Keep keep Russia, uh, uh, keep Russia at bay, as it were.
1: Yeah, no. And, and there are, to, to, to be sure, um, uh, isolationists out there. Right. Um, and uh, I I think they're wrong. Um, but I, I, I don't think that necessarily equates to they're in bed with Putin.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I so. I, I agree. Definitely. All right. So, you know, I, I think we I, I want to continue. Continue a little bit on Russia and, and Ukraine, though, maybe we'll move that into our uh, midweek, midweek show, because I think that there are some things we want to get into that. But before I, I'm looking at the clock here and before we do finish our, uh, our regular show, I'd like to talk about some, I don't know. I guess you could call it good news, sort of good-ish news, um, believe it or not, because it's all, we're all gloom and doom, you know, but but there was some good news this week. I mean, the U.S. economy grew at a 2.6 annual rate in the third quarter, and that was actually a surprise to a lot of analysts. We saw declines in the first half of 2022, and so – I mean right it's it's a good thing there was uh one, as one yeah. person put it it's good that the economy is not collapsing and I think we can all agree that yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a yeah. Uh, that's a good thing but at the same time the economic conventional wisdom suggests that a recession in the next year is probably still more likely than not especially uh the Fed meets uh, I think next week and there's almost certainly going to be another rate hike uh but at the very least this GDP data suggests that maybe there's still at least the possibility of kind of a, a soft landing as they call it, or at least a relatively mild recession. And so that's my take on it. Jay, J- how do you see this latest data?
1: No, I think it's, I I, I agree. I think it's, uh, it's not, it's not like great news, uh, but it's, 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 it's not, it's not bad news. I guess that's probably the, yeah. you know what I mean? You, you look at it and, yeah, I you know, you you beat expectations uh upwards. So um generally that's good. Um that that gives the sense that, you know, what the Fed is doing uh is is working gradually and yeah, we're heading for a a soft or or at least softer landing. Um I think that's I think that's good. What I'm I'm I sort of I'm I'm a little concerned is, you know, does that signal the Fed of like, well, hell, we'll just raise rates more um i i don't think it does uh, i think it just will indicate that you tell them to you know keep stay the course um uh and, and i think you know part of these uh you know again we're we're still in such a weird time right of of just coming back from from covid um and uh sort of the international shock with the the war in ukraine um so yeah i i I I think it's good news. Uh, is it, is it great news? Uh, you know, no, but it's, it's better than uh continued uh, yeah. uh, it's, contraction.
0: It's good that the economy is not collapsing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you think, do you think it's good for, I mean, do you think this matters politically at all with the midterms uh, elections being uh, you know, it here uh, in in a little bit because I was going to say coming up. Yeah, my my and, sense is my sense is kind of too little,
1: too late, right? I don't I don't think that you can turn on. And again, to me, the, the bigger issue when people talk about the economy, it's less of the recession; it's it's more inflation. Um, right? That's the that's the issue that that you know hits you when you go to the grocery store. Um, and yeah, sort of some you know economists saying. Hey, the economy grew at two point six percent last quarter. Um, I don't think people are are like, well, hey, perfect. I mean, but you know, the price of milk is still uh, what it is. It's still you know uh, a whole lot more than it was a year ago. So I I, I don't think it it translates um, yet yeah, into nor 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 does this it, is it give you this sense of hey, we've turned the corner. Uh, this is an ascendant economy. It's sort of like, huh. Uh, things weren't as bad as we thought they were. Uh, you know what I mean? It's, it's not the, um, you know, there, w- there was a sense, I guess, back during the, the Reagan days, right? I mean, we had a really, the Reagan recession, uh, which was not dissimilar uh, to this one in terms of, you know, there was really high inflation and what the Fed did was uh, raised rates significantly and, and uh, put the country into a recession. Um, and, um, uh, you know, 1982, 83, and, but, but then you had the sense in, you know, midway through 1982 or, or into 1983, that there was this turn the corner and yeah. you had, you know, you had, there's this upward slope, right? Every month it kept getting better and better and better. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, there was this sort of, yeah, new day in America. I, I don't, I don't see this one month being that sort of, you know, morning in America again type no. moment.
0: Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's one good quarter and it's a surprise certainly, but there, there aren't, it you'd be hard pressed to find anyone who says, yep, that's, we're, we're good to go now just given given all the factors you know the, the opec cuts and the and the war in ukraine and still the uncertainty from from uh the, the pandemic and yeah it's definitely yeah. definitely and, not and again good.
1: it wasn't it wasn't like a six percent growth or something like that like wow i mean it, it was like eh, you know oh yeah so. exactly so
0: all right well on that at least not horrifically negative note we will we will end things but we have a lot to talk about that we didn't get to, and we want to get to some of that in the midweek show. Like again, more on Russia and Ukraine. Will we see uh, uh, nuclear weapons release or dirty bombs or or Elon Musk satellites start coming down in droves or something like that? We're going to get into all that. Uh, all, uh, more on COVID, uh, unfortunately, I guess, but uh, and and a whole bunch of other stuff along those lines. So if you are a supporter, you will be hearing all about that on Tuesday when our show comes out. If you're not. We hope you'll consider becoming a supporter. Uh, Supporters are are what keep our show going. When you become a supporter, you get all sorts of good things. You get ad-free versions of everything we put out. You get that midweek show. uh, And uh yeah, we you get our deepest appreciation as well from whatever that is worth. we are, are we gonna do recommendations this week. Oh yeah. Our, you know, I told you we, why don't we can do that? Absolutely. So yeah, we can do, do it now. Yeah, let's do it. Let's or, or, let's be crazy. Break protocol. Yeah, what you got a recommendation, Jay? Go ahead. Please do. I do. So this was weird because a, a couple of times you've you done recommendations and sometimes
1: I just come up short. But I, I'm in sort of like a seasonal mood, right? And and so I, I wanted to recommend my seasonal reading. Um and that is, uh, again, stuff that you probably knew about or read a long time ago when you were a kid, but didn't realize how cool it was. Uh, and one that one of those things would be Washington Irving's Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Um, it's, again, short little novella kind of thing. You can read it before Halloween. Um, but there's a lot going on uh, in that. And it's, it's a lot less a story about, um, you know, ghostly uh, Hessians and, and more <laughs> about... Um, the, the incursion of uh, the English into uh, what had been the, uh, uh, you know, um, new, uh, uh, new Amsterdam, right, <laughs> new, you know, right, yep. a, a Dutch uh, colony. Um, and it's, I, it, you know, I read it uh, again as, as a, a grown-up, um, you know, a year or so ago. And it, it is, it, it's absolutely fascinating that, you know, um, the Ichabod Crane is, is the bad guy uh, in that he is sort of an in, incursion into this, uh, this Dutch, uh, you know, otherwise Dutch, Dutch world. He's trying to, um, uh, uh, you know, hit on, uh, Katrina Van Tassel and, and Brom Bones is actually sort of the good guy defending, uh, uh, the Dutch against these, uh, these dumb, uh, English people. Um, so anyway, I, I think it's fun to go back and, and reread something like that. And, and, um, uh, the writing also is just is just great right, and a lot of times you don 't appreciate that when yeah, you' are a kid, kid younger yeah. and you're... um the other uh my other um, uh seasonal reading is uh, sort of the same same vein um uh short stories of h p Lovecraft ooh fun, um, which is like totally just super fun um uh so yeah creepy weird, and it 's also got this wonderful sort of early twenties you know it 's like twenties thirties kind of uh uh, almost like an Indiana Jones sort of quality to it, uh, maybe in some cases. Lovecraft is um, deeply
0: weird sometimes, yeah. Yeah,
1: And uh, but yeah, this, this you know sort of horror slash science fiction. Um, uh, Call of Cthulhu a uh, sort of a, a novella short story, and, and it's just really fantastic. Um, people may come out and say Lovecraft was a sort of uh, inveterate racist, um, and I think there's ample evidence for that but uh it doesn't come through really in any of his stories and they're still really super creepy and super fun and the writing is is just really fun. Um and my last cuz I'm getting all my recommendations out but also for <laughs> seasonal there's also this is your time you can start reading Mayflower um uh, uh by Nathaniel Philbrick uh, so that you'll be ready for Thanksgiving. But those are my 3 Three recommendations. Wow. Okay. Uh, that's Sleepy, Hour, Sleepy Hollow, uh, Lovecraft, and uh, get get a head start on
0: Mayflower. Jay coming through with the seasonally appropriate recommendations. Very, very impressive. And we will have links to all of those in the show notes. Now, I feel like I I, I should come up with something, and I will come up with something very, very different. In in my life, I spend a lot of time uh, typing things. Right, I'm in front of the keyboard. A lot, and I think for a lot of folks, that's that's the case. And I recently sort of got in. There is a whole. This probably shouldn't surprise folks. There's a whole computer keyboard subculture. Of course, there is, right? But but I, I recently uh, had my eyes opened. Uh, I bought a thing called the the cron the Keycron uh, Q it's Q3 keyboard, and it's like if you've been if you have never used a high quality keyboard it's like you've been driving in a in, in a soapbox derby car your whole life and this is like moving from that to a Bentley. It's just it it blows my mind. It makes me want to write stuff. It's just so amazingly better and different from anything I'd ever experienced. I just like I said it is mind blowing. Now it's not not necessarily cheap but if you have a few bucks and you want to really have a luxury typing experience i highly highly recommend and they have them in all kinds of sizes and and so forth but it really just opened my eyes so and anyway that, that'll be my recommendation all, all right. right so then before we before we go if you would like to become a supporter of the show you can go to patreon.com slash politicsguys. If you'd like to support us on Venmo or at Politics Guys, you can also support the show through PayPal. And all of our support links are always in the show notes as well as at politicsguys.com support. And if you would like to get that supporters midweek show, but you're just not in a position to financially support us right now. Not a problem. Send me an email, Mike at politicsguys.com, and I will get you set up with that midweek show. And whether you're a supporter or not, it really does help if you uh, can spread the word. However, uh, especially through, you know, sharing episodes on social media, that's probably the easiest way. We would very much appreciate that. And finally, as always, a special thanks to our wonderful executive producers, Bruce Johnson, Wilma Moreno, Andra Masker, Daniel Toe, Ryan Beasley, and Don Oglesby. Jay and I will be back with a new episode for you next week. We hope to join us.